Good morning, friends. Welcome to church. Um, I, I don't know about you. Uh, I love spring. This morning is cold. Um, like, you know, we've been out in the garden and just, you know, things are blooming and blossoming. Great Georgia day. Pollen is killing some of us. Do I have anybody else? So the pollen just <sighs> washed our car yesterday, woke up yellow all over my car this morning. Uh, spring break is this week. Do I have anybody else celebrating spring break? It's lost a little bit of its sparkle this year. I mean, like, let's be real. Our kids have only been in school for a few weeks now. And all of us Bibb County parents are just praying that they'll go back after the week is over. But uh, I'm Elizabeth. I'm super excited to have the privilege to share with you today. Um, for those of you who have been um, a part of our services, we are in the middle of a sermon series, But God. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, if I put a lot of emphasis on that, a few weeks ago I had a friend who was like, you know, it's interesting, this whole series, but God. Like, you have to put the emphasis at the right spot, or it's just but God. You know, like, but God, but God. Anyway, so as I've been uh, preparing for today, all week I just kept saying, but God, but God. Anyway, so if I put a lot of emphasis, that's my disclaimer. There you go. Um, but this sermon series has really been stirring inside of me a lot the last few weeks. And so the last, I would say, two or three weeks, I've just really been asking the Lord um, for what he needed today to be. And uh, kind of as Kyle had mentioned, that I would be a faithful mouthpiece and get out of the way. But the thing with this whole sermon series um, for me has been the, I don't know if it, yeah, the blank. Like, that has resonated with me, the, the blank. Because I think all of us have the blank, right? It was the, the life before the comma and the but God. So if you know me, you know that words and communicating are a big part of who I am. Uh, I am known for talking. I was the kid in school who always had that, like, on the report card. Like, she's a talker. Um, in fact, when I was in the first grade, Miss Whetstone was her name. She moved my desk into the hallway for uh, the whole second part of the school year because she says, it doesn't matter where I put you. You make a friend, and you just keep talking. So um, talking and communicating and words uh, are a big deal to me. Uh, Jeremy, my husband, says, I will say the same thing six times just to make sure we're all on the same page. And uh, he kind of says that with a, an eye roll. For those of you that know Jeremy well. Um, but as a communicator, I have found that there are a few words that, um, that can cause an immediate response or reaction. One of those words is, but. So like the idea of, I would love to babysit, but, right? Uh, dinner was delicious, but... Uh, or, or this is one. Now, nobody got hurt, but your truck, on the other hand, dot, dot, dot. I would love to marry you, but, right? The word but, it, 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 it gives us this, um, this, this hesitation a little bit. So as a communicator, I have learned what are some other words that I could put in place of that. So like and is a great example. So like think about it this way. I would love to babysit, and I'm out of town for the next two weeks, so any time after that, right? I would love to marry you, and 
two or three years down the road sounds like a good time timeline, right? Uh, uh, we didn't get hurt, and your truck is fine enough, you know. So I've I've learned that um, removing the the word but from our vocabulary can can kind of put people at ease, you know. Uh, it, they like to hear what we have to say. Um, and, and I think sometimes in life we use that word but to kind of take us out of the out of the equation. Or, or, or to make the next step for us. So like, for example, we'd say, I'd love to do that, but my finances won't allow me to. Man, that job promotion sounds awesome, but I'm sure someone else is more qualified than me. Yeah, of course I think they're attractive and interesting, but surely, surely they, they wouldn't think the same way about me. I know the Bible says that he loves me, but he must not really know me that well. You see, for many of us, we allow the but to take us out of the playing field. Like, we, we don't even make it off the bench. And I think with this sermon series, as I was trying to put my finger on, out of all the things that Mark and Fran preach on, what was it about this series that just kind of kept stirring inside of me? And I think what it is, is it's this God factor, of, of the But God series. You see, we can all fill in the blank, whatever that might be. I sinned, I cheated, I lied, I stole, I broke, I ran. Um, I, I, was, I was deceived, I was cheated on, I was lied to, whatever it is. We can fill in that blank. But God... It's that God factor. When we finish our sentence with but God, it takes the emphasis off us and whatever that problem was before the comma, and it illuminates who the problem solver is, right? It, it, it just puts this big spotlight on who the fixer is. And I think that is what has been resonating with me is we can all think about our blank. We can all focus on who we were before, but when we put the emphasis on but God, that doesn't really matter anymore. Today's scripture passage, you'll see it in your bulletin. I am reading from the message paraphrase. This is not another translation of the Bible. This is just the Bible put in today's terms. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. It is going to maybe be on the screen, maybe. But if not, look in your bulletins. It says, he, God, didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble would inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Today I'm going to share with you one of my favorite Bible stories. The last few weeks we've heard from Mark and Fran and Tiffany, um, and they have shared some awesome stories about some Bible giants. No, not, not real giants, but what I mean is like, these are the stories that make themselves into like great VBS 
parts of the week, right? These are the stories that have songs written about them. These are the stories that are, are well-known and popular. Um, they, they hit on Noah and his ark. They talked about Joshua and the great battle of Jericho. They talked about uh, Joseph and the coat of many colors um, and how he was enslaved and then later come, came into leadership in Egypt. Today's story is not one of those. <laughs> Today's story is a little bit more um, maybe uncommon or not heard of. It is definitely not a VBS story. I'm going to be sharing with you uh, the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Um, now, a, a quick little side note. This week I was um, meeting with Fran and we were in her office and I was just kind of spitballing with her because I just had a lot spitting in my brain and I was like, okay, Fran, I have this and I have this and my spirit is kind of leading me here. And I shared how I was going to be speaking on this scripture passage and she reminded me that this was John Horton's last sermon in 2017. For those of you who know John Horton, he was, I don't even know how old he was, but he um, was in the ministry for 65 plus years. He started preaching when he was in high school. Um, he had retired like, I don't know, six times, something like that. But he was, he just loved Jesus so, so very much. And uh, so this past week, Fran sent me the podcast of his last sermon and he shared the story of Hosea and Gomer. So I was at the gym early one morning and just on the elliptical, just crying along with John Horton, listening to this powerful story of God's love for his people. And um, John, in his sermon, he said he always would start a sermon at a new church with this story. And he would typically end a sermon or his last sermon at a church with this story because it just pointed so much to the love of God for his people. But back to the story. Hosea is a book in the Old Testament, and Hosea was one of the minor prophets. Uh, he was a prophet of the northern kingdom of, of Israel, and uh, it was about 200 years after the split. Uh, I'm not going to really get into that, but uh, Israel had split into two kingdoms. We have the northern kingdom, which is the northern kingdom of Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which was Judah. Um, the northern kingdom, they were prosperous with riches and material wealth. Uh, they had a series of kings that were evil, like the real kind of evil. Um, and spiritually, as a people, they were dead and distant from God. They worshipped other gods, specifically ba Baal. Is that how you say it? Baal. 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 Uh, he was a god of fertility. So uh, sexual offerings, open promiscuity, those were common in that time frame. Another one that was a, a common one was child sacrifice. So it, it, was, it was not a great time for the Israelites in that regard. And Hosea's job, declared for him by God, was to show how the northern kingdom had been unfaithful to God, despite God's continued faithfulness and provision. And, and obviously, the, the people of Israel, they were not keen on Hosea's message, right? Like, this would have been the guy, like, when he was walking down the street, you would, like, duck into the first door just so you wouldn't have to, you know, cross paths with him. Or maybe you would, like, avert your eyes so it's like, he doesn't see me standing here, right? Trying to not make eye contact. Um, and, and, and here was the thing. Or, or he would start talking and everyone would roll their eyes because they know what the holy roller preacher is going to say. But their response did not hinder Hosea at all. It, it, if anything, it made him even louder. 
to share the repeated message. I mean, the Israelites were doing this again and again and again, turning away from God. And so his message was the same. Repent of your sin, turn back to God, or surely there will be destruction. And they weren't listening. So God decided to use a real live example to illustrate this point. So I'm going to read this first. This is Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and the children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Hosea, the, the preacher, the local prophet, the, the holy one, um, was commanded by God to marry a promiscuous woman. Now, depending on what translation you read, um, the description of Gomer is quite colorful. Um, but, but she is a, a promiscuous woman. And, and scripture tells us here that she will bear you children of unfaithfulness. So stories like this, my mind just kind of starts going wild, right? I begin to, to create this dialogue and, and, and put, put together some flesh to these people. Like, what would it have been like? And for me, this is no different. So I want to take a second and share with you the things that we know and the things that we don't know based off of Scripture and based off of the culture. Number one. Hosea and Gomer likely did not have this romantic fall in love sort of story, right? Uh, That didn't happen back then. Marriages were arranged. So likely this was an agreement between Hosea and Gomer's father, Deblium. Number two, we have no reason to believe that Gomer or Deblium believed or worshipped the one true God of Israel. It wasn't like here is one family. No, there, there was none of that. Everything in the culture opposed God. That is why Hosea's message was so necessary. There is no reason to believe that Gomer was of of right standing with the Lord. More likely, she was a a secular woman of, of the times like everyone else in her culture. And as we read in verse 2, Hosea was to marry this woman, his adulterous wife, and father the children of unfaithfulness. And and. The part for me that this vivid picture, um, God is using this real life man to, to illustrate Israel's unfaithfulness. So Hosea went into this covenant with Gomer knowing she would be unfaithful. He's called Hosea, this prophet, marry a woman who would be unfaithful. And, and again, I keep hitting on that. She would bear children of unfaithfulness. It gives us this idea. It alludes to the fact that her children might not have been his children. Right? So Gomer. Scripture doesn't say uh, exactly what her occupation was before meeting Hosea, but we do know that there was unfaithfulness there. And I'm sure that the community was quite surprised when Hosea picked her to be his Wife, And imagine how she must have felt entering into marriage with Hosea. This was not just a uh, proposition. This was not just a, a one-time affair. This was a forever covenant that Hosea was making with her. And scripture tells us that Hosea loved her and made this covenant with her, knowing she would be unfaithful. Hosea and Gomer married. They had three children This is the other crazy part of the story. God called Hosea to give these children names that would remind Israel 
of God's judgment on them. Okay? So, first kid is a boy. And God says, I want you to name him Jezreel. Now, Jezreel is a valley. It was near a mountain called Megiddo. Uh, and this is where a lot of battles were fought and lost by the Israelites. They were defeated by their enemies time and time again at the valley of Jezreel because God had turned his face from them. So number one, name, name your kid Jezreel, which I guess in my words, my words, I'm going to say the, the valley of defeat, right? Number two, they had a girl, and God commanded Hosea, name her Lo-Ruhama, which means not loved. Okay, child number three, we're going to have a boy, and his name is Lo-Ami, which means not my people. So imagine, like, on the ball field, up to bat, next we have not loved, swinging, fo- yeah, I mean, you know, like, I mean, it's just, like, in, in my mind, I'm like, whoa, like, how do those kids make it through elementary school? You know, middle school would have been rough. But here's the thing. The idea behind this was that every time their names were called, it was to serve as a reminder to Israel, hey, get it right. Not loved, not my people, valley of defeat. Don't forget God, the God of your people, the God who has saved you time and time again. But according to the timeline in scripture, the Israelites of the northern kingdom, they were rich and they were prominent. They, they didn't have a need. They weren't struggling. In fact, it says they worshiped all these other gods and they, give, they gave credit to all these other gods for the good things that were happening in their life, for their crops, for their health, for their prosperity. They disregarded the one true God. Scripture describes in chapter 2 how Gomer was just fed up with Hosea and these weird names of her kids and that she left. She left him, and she left him with her children. Um, And she... We have a lot of kids in the room. She, she became a working girl. Uh, fill in the blank. She turned to other things. She turned to other lovers. She looked to other gods. She knew the man Hosea was. And I'm sure her community, her neighbors, uh, the, the, the other townspeople were quick to remind her who she was, how low she had sunk, She turned away from Hosea and his faithful love, his forever covenant, just like Israel continued to do to God. She ran away from her children and her responsibilities to them, just like Israel was doing with the Lord, forgetting his provision and abundance. But Gomer finds that it it doesn't turn out quite as she had hoped. Uh, For whatever reason, we discover in chapter 3 of Hosea that uh, Gomer had sold herself into Slavery, that kind of slavery, right? All the children in the room. She became so desperate, or maybe ashamed, that instead of returning to her family and her husband and her children, she thought it would be better if she was sold as a slave. Or maybe she thought that's what she deserved. Or maybe thought that's, that, that's all she was worthy of. This is the part, uh, listening to John's sermon this past week, where his voice cracked for the first time. 
because John began to paint the scene of this story as, as it might have happened. Okay, this is, this is uh, kind of just a, a painted picture of what it likely could have been. Imagine townspeople were milling around the temple uh, and, and the auctioneer comes up, right, to begin the auction. And he starts with, let, let, let's start auctioning off the animals for sacrifice. Okay, who, who has two talents, three talents? Let's auction it off. And from there, he, he might move on to selling incense for idol worship. For there, maybe let's move to selling statues and idols and all these other pagan acts of worship. And then they move on to humans, starting to sell the slaves, auction the slaves off. And likely they would start with uh, the, the children slaves and then move on to the house slaves and then get up to uh, the the slaves that, that were the prostitutes at the temple. So imagine Gomer is standing on the auction block. The auctioneer maybe reads a description of her. And the bidding begins. And the snide looks of the community and the chuckles. You see, they all, they all know who Gomer is. The wife of the holy man, the wife of the prophet. Look at where she's at now. And the auctioneer begins and Silence, nothing, not, not even, not even a, a, anything. Nobody's making a bid. And then out of the blue, out of the shadows, a single figure makes his way to the front of the crowd. and She's mine. I'll buy her. I want her back. Fifteen shekels of silver. He bought her when no one else would. Hosea. The father she left. The husband that she abandoned. And for me this week, as I was thinking about Gomer's blank, right? She worshipped other gods. She deserted her husband. She abandoned her kids. She was unfaithful in her marriage covenant. She practiced sinful acts of idol worship. She ran after worldly pleasures, wealth and beauty and jewels. She sold herself into slavery. But God, you talk about that God factor. Gomer did not deserve to be redeemed. Her behavior did not merit such mercy. The fact that Hosea was even there, like in my mind, it makes me wonder, like how did he even know, right? In my mind, it makes me think, again, this is like my little... Hollywood romantic movie mind. Like, I wonder if Hosea went just to, to see if he could catch a glimpse of Gomer each day. You know, that's my bride. That's my wife. It, we don't know. Israel did not deserve God's faithful promise. Their unfaithfulness did not merit such mercy. And then it brings me to where I think for myself this tension has been I do not deserve salvation my sin has not merited such mercy and it is not because we deserve it but it's because God's mercy demands it God does not treat us Psalm 103 says this God does not treat us like we deserve or like our sin deserves Man, and I am so glad for that. God chose 
us. He chose me. He chose you. This love story of Hosea and Gomer, how Hosea knew that he was going to have an unfaithful wife, and he sought her out and married her and made a covenant with her, raising children of unfaithfulness with her. And then even after she turned her back and walked away, and, and, and when she could have come back and said, okay, I'm sorry, let's, make it, let, let's fix this, she didn't. But he still sought her out. This love story is our story. Even when we, I say when, even when we are faithless, God will always remain faithful. If you are enslaved, God will buy you back. If you are lost, God will always find you. If you are ashamed, man, he will cover you. If you wander away, he'll bring you home. If you give up on him, man, he won't give up on you. And no matter where you are, he sees you and he loves you and he chooses you. And he makes his way to the front of the crowd and he says, she's mine. He's mine. Whatever the price is, I'll pay it. Which leads us to the most incredible but God there was. The cross. Not because we've earned it. Not because of anything we could have done. In fact, I go back to that passage I shared earlier in Romans 5. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. Okay, okay, you know, I, I, let's, get, let's get on our, our church face. It's Sunday, right? He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were too weak and too rebellious. We weren't even looking. No, God, I don't need a savior. I'm fine. Life is fine. I'm not in need. Things are going well. I'm doing well in my job. My marriage is strong. I'm making money. I have a great house. I have my 2.5 kids or whatever that looks like. I'm in line for a promotion. I am good. And we find ourselves getting farther and farther away from who God wants us to be. This passage, it tells us, it says, of course it makes, you know, this idea of like, well, now, if it wasn't Gomer, like, let's imagine it was like, you know, the other preacher's daughter. And, and of course, like, she was upstanding and beautiful and virtuous. Well, of course Hosea would seek her out. But he didn't. He, he, he sought out Gomer, who was not any of those things. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Nothing I could do would make me worthy of God and the gift of Jesus. When we think our story is over, now for, for some of us here, we're looking, we're like, okay, I've never, I've never done the whole Gomer thing. That's a lot, you know? The, the big bad sins, I get it. For me, I had to sit back and say, okay, Lord, I remember my, my long blank for the very first time. I remember what life was before God. I remember what life was before freedom. And, and I have such incredible joy. But today, I still have those long blanks in my life. I have those blanks of, um, of, you know, well, this is how it's always been, so this is how it's always going to be. And, and I just tell God how it's, you know, well, God, this is just the way my family thinks. This is just the way I was raised. This is just, this is, you know, God, of course you want me to have 
financial security. You're not calling me to give it all up and follow you. What does that mean? Right? It's this idea that as God paints this picture for us of what our but God moment could be right now. Imagine for a moment that you were like Gomer standing in front of the crowd. You know better than any of them what you've done, what you're guilty of, who you've hurt, what you are worth. And out of nowhere, God stands up and he says, mine, I love you. I'll pay anything. I'll pay anything. Oh, my son, who I love more than anything, I'll give him up for you. The perfect son who has done nothing wrong ever, I will sacrifice him for everything you have ever done and will ever do because that is how much I love you. I'll pay anything. It's this incredible example of but God. Jesus was sacrificed on a cross, buried in a hole, and three days later, but God... I'm excited because as I've been wrapping my brain around this story and about this whole series, um, I have had, sometimes in the church you grow up and like every, you just get into this habit of like, everybody knows Jesus. We all know, especially in the South, everybody knows about God. It's a thing. But I have had an opportunity as of late where I uh, have encountered a few people who don't know the story, right? And it, it almost feels uncomfortable because it's like, well, surely everybody knows it. But then when you meet somebody who doesn't and you have to walk them through the steps, it reminds you how real it is, right? And so my prayer for you today as we walk through this but God experience is that we would have those moments of, Lord, open my eyes to somebody who is waiting for their but God moment. Somebody who is like, okay, I, I'm struggling here. I'm drowning here. I've run. I've, I am not worthy, wh whatever it is. But God, give me the eyes to see the people who need that but God moment. Standing there like Gomer. Oh, I know what I've done. I know what I, I know who I am. I know how broken I am. Oh, but God, save me from myself. The band is going to come up. I'm going to close us in prayer. Um, some of us, maybe, maybe we haven't had that but God experience. Maybe we're like, hey, I just, I go to church. It's what I do. It's what I was raised to do. I don't know anything different. So you're like, what do you mean? What's the emphasis on the but God? No, that's the moment. That's the moment that God is inviting us into.